You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Guess who's back? Your friends, Grant and Danny from Bustin' Loose Baseball. You can watch us now on YouTube. We are on video. Of course, wherever you get your audio, the Bustin' Loose Baseball podcast will be available. Please subscribe. Please spread the word. We will be here all season long breaking down the Washington Nationals with the addition of now being able to see Danny in high definition. What's up, Danny? What do you say, my friend? I am excited to talk about uh, baseball on video. I'll have to put clothes on this time when we start doing this podcast uh, more regularly as we kind of get into the swing of things. Terrible dad pun by me when I just said swing, talking about baseball. But uh, we're good to go, man. Spring training well underway and the roster starting to take shape. Yes, it absolutely is. Lots to get into on this first podcast today. We should let people know We interviewed Josiah Gray. It's a really good conversation. Very, very smart. Very, very nerdy from a baseball standpoint. Uh, We got into a bunch of analytical things with him and some of the numbers that he cares about and doesn't. And uh, basically, he was in the lab building pitches over the course of the offseason as he's now going to try to throw a cutter. So I think that's must listen. It's really good. You will hear it at the end of this podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But there's a lot to catch up on. Kind of a state of the union here on the Nationals as we're midway through spring training. World Baseball Classic going on. Um, let's get into first just some news and notes things, and then we'll take a deep dive into the roster. Uh, Joey Manessis, two home runs for Mexico against Team USA the other night. Uh, that's good and bad because I don't like when people homer against Team USA. Uh, they bounced back, obviously, in a big way offensively since. But Manessis, the epicenter of the baseball world for a night. This is a guy who was toiling in the minor leagues, Danny, who couldn't get an opportunity, came up and played at an MVP level for a couple of months, you know, outperformed Juan Soto in some ways, post-Soto trade. It was amazing. And then for at least one night with some of the biggest stars in baseball on the field, uh, he was the most radiantly shining of them all. What a cool moment for him. And, yeah. and the hits keep on coming. There's a chance maybe that Joey Manessis is going to be a good offensive player for this team this year. There's no other way to describe it where Nats fans, I think, and, and, and people around baseball are kind of going, is Joey Manessis a thing? Last year was fun. Really, really cool. I mean, you, know, you know this. I mean, how many flashes in the pan have you seen, it, it, you know, coming up and having a great September or, you know, some kind of brief moment in time where they can't get out. And next thing you know, they're back down in AAA. Manessis came up and, and handled it. I mean, he was outstanding last year. You touched on it, better numbers than Juan Soto over the time, uh, you know, after that trade, getting his opportunity. The story for him is phenomenal. It was also frustrating to watch as a Team USA fan, but he was great, and he started barreling up the baseball last year. And if he can continue to do that, again, not put up those kind of numbers over a full season, hitting 
you know, mid 300s with, you know, 40 some home runs, I don't think it's feasible. But if he can be a steady, honest to goodness, middle of the order bat for this organization, that's a massive thing. Whether that means he's here for a few years as this rebuild starts to take shape uh, and they're hopefully competitive in a couple of seasons or as an outstanding trade chip to a competitive team for, you know, as a DH spot, maybe a corner outfielder, play some first base, whatever, that guy can hit. And if if he continues to to do what he did, you know, for Team Mexico uh, the other night, what a fantastic find for this organization. Yeah, his pace last season, to your point, 13 homers in 56 games, would have been a 37 homer pace in the big leagues over 162 contests. He hit 324, got on base almost 37% of the time, had a 930 OPS. It was amazing. Was four for 20 at spring training before he went to the WBC, where he's been very hot, including the two homer game. Um, otherwise for the nationals here, as far as news and notes, Kbert Ruiz was locked up to an eight year extension for $50 million. Now I got to say, this is as team friendly a contract as any ball player has ever signed. In my opinion, I was texting a couple of buddies of mine who are either working with big league teams or on the agent side and sources of mine. And not one of them could kind of believe that Ruiz did this deal. Um, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but I want to start by just saying congrats to the Nats for getting one of these done. As much as a no-brainer, I think, as this was, when you look at the fact that there are even two option years at the end of this team-friendly 8-50 and 50 that could make it actually worth 10 years and another 13 or so million dollars. Incredible contract, but they have not been able to land the plane on the runway that the Braves and the Astros and the Rays and so many other teams working ahead have routinely done, and now they have. It takes a willing player. It takes probably a non-Boris player. In this case, Ruiz switched away from Scott Boris a couple weeks before doing the deal. But they finally did it, man, and this is really, really exciting and cool. I know there's some question about if Ruiz is going to make good on, at one point in time, being a top 15 prospect in baseball, and does he still have star potential, and what are we talking about? And that's a good conversation we can have. But I don't think it even matters at this contract. Like if he's just a big league catcher for a bunch of years, you're getting good value here. That's it. Now, there are two ways to approach this, and, and we'll talk about it. We could talk about it from the player's perspective, right? Where, you know, I'm going, hey, K-Bear, you probably left some money on the table. Not if it probably you did. But from the Nationals' perspective, organizationally, someone that follows the team, a fan of the team, et cetera, we were due for one of these, man. We were due. In fact, we're due for a bunch of these where a young piece – that is here, that they acquired, that they're going to develop. This guy is going to be here for a decade, basically. We were due one of these guys that was going to sign a team-friendly deal instead of a an albatross contract that hangs over the organization still, and you know exactly who I'm referencing. We were due a team-friendly, long-term, lock-up-a-young-piece instead of doing the Willie or Woney, Willie or Woney dance that we have done for Soto, for Harper, for Turner, for Rendon. Enough of that. This is why it's so exciting for the Nats, and and again, for Nats fans as well. The Braves have made a living doing this. You touched on them, the Astros, the, you know, the Nats uh, uh, roommates down there at spring training. They have found a way to get those contracts done en masse, keep a core together that keeps you competitive in the mid-90s plus wins for you know a, an extended period of time. This is how you do it. You can't do this with everybody. It always depends on the player, his needs, his wants, uh, et cetera. you got to be you know two to tango is your old adage there. But the Nets were due one of these, quite frankly. And it's exciting in that regard. I, I, I This is a guy that I think has all-star potential in K-Bear Ruiz. And 
I'm not some groundbreaking revolutionary that I see something that no one else does. He was a highly rated prospect uh, for really good reason. I think the bat to ball is there. I think there'll be some power numbers that are going to start to develop here pretty soon. I like him as a receiver. Uh, catch and throw was really, really good. He's a nice guy to have as this young pit core pitching staff starts to develop. They'll develop along with Cabo Ruiz. I think that's really, really good. So it's exciting from that regard. But again, the thing I keep coming back to, Jeeps, is they were due one of these, right? Whether it's an unwillingness to do it early, whether it was a player unwillingness, whether it was Boris, I don't know who to blame. And frankly, I don't care. I'm just excited they finally got one. Yeah, a couple of things to kind of follow up on there. I mean, you're absolutely right that he's got back-to-ball skills that are really intriguing. And if you're a team, what you're looking for in projecting offensively his hit tool, which he has, right? This is a guy that doesn't swing and miss a whole lot. Like, that's a trait. That's a skill. That's very, very rare at any position for a young player. And Kbert Ruiz, at 24 years old, is very much a young player. For a switch hitter to have a swing that seems to always be that locked in and to make the contact that he does is a really valuable thing, right? We're talking about a whiff percentage last season at the 94th percentile in baseball. A strikeout percentage, 97th percentile. He doesn't swing and miss. He doesn't strike out. Because he put so many balls in play, he was unlucky last year with a 251 batting average, but his expecting batting average was 91st percentile, right? So those are, are uh, traits. Those are things that if you are um, a, a team kind of diving into Ruiz's season last year, you're expecting a lot more offense. You're expecting a lot more boom, so to speak as he continues to thicken up and, and hit for power. Now, there are some traits that aren't great as well. He did not hit the ball hard last season, 11th percentile. His average exit velocity was 33rd percentile. His barrel percentage was 11th percentile. So there's a walk rate that needs to be improved, 37th percentile. So he's put, making a lot of contact, but it's plenty of weak contact, right? It's He's not finding the barrel. That's something that I think, they can improve upon. They can help him with. And maybe you trade in some of the just, hey, I'm going to make contact and slap the ball here for a little bit more good part of the bat to the big part of the field kind of swings. And I, th I think there's going to be a happy medium where maybe it is 260 instead of 280, but maybe, you know, the, the power goes up and you slug a little bit more. And that is coming. But th the fact that they got this deal done, 8-50 and 50 with two team options, we're talking about, in my opinion, the maybe the most team-friendly deal that's ever been signed ahead of free agency with one of these young players. And he's not on the level of a Corbin Carroll, who might win Rookie of the Year in the National League this year if Jordan Walker doesn't, who just got 8-1-11 from the Diamondbacks, or, or even a lot of the guys the Braves signed, right? Michael Harris got a record $70 million for the amount of limited big league service time he'd had. But this is genius. Like, this is what teams should be doing. Now, on the Ruiz side of this, I don't really know why he signed this deal. It actually worries me, might be excessive, but it makes me think, you know, is he not as confident in his own development and what he's going to become as maybe he should be? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that he did. And, and who am I to question a young man who just signed for $50 million? I mean, I don't know what his situation is, family and otherwise. That He, he will retire with an amount of money now that sets up his kids and his kids' kids. I just know that in talking to at least one other agent in baseball, they speculated that he, he left at least 50, maybe even a hundred million dollars on the table. If he really does break out and become a star and he could get the upward 
you know, 100 million more than he got over these 10 years. Now that is probably bullish, but it's a crazy contract for the Nats. It's amazing for the player. It's really surprising. And and we do a, a Nats podcast, not not a Cabert Ruiz podcast. So uh, I'm right. pumped about it. Yeah, no, I think it's well said. I mean, you know, the thing you touched on is you never know what's going on, personal life or or background with a player. Um, and think of also, you know, th- there are some economists who will tell you now for me, the bigger amounts, the bigger amount. And, and that's kind of the end. It's worth betting on yourself. But, you know, the same reason the Nationals do deferred money in every single contract ever, it seems like, is to them, you know, is, is $10 million today worth more than 25 down the road? Not to most people, but again, there's there's some uh, argument there to, to be made. Money now is better than money later because he's going to go through a couple of years, more years of controllability than arbitration and, and and everything else. And this gives him more in the short term. Again, leaving money on the table in the long term. Maybe you're thinking high injury rate position. Maybe you know productivity decline because you know that the, the tools of ignorance are undefeated in terms of slowing people down. I'm speculating. What do I know, right? But as you said, it does take two to tango here. And and the fact that Ruiz was willing to do that, I think, is obviously the central tenet of this thing. But, you know, for the Nationals' perspective, again, I can't get over how few times this has actually happened. It basically took two different guys going to free agency, getting to the very end, and the Nats paying top of market rate at the time for Ryan Zimmerman, and then again for Steven Strasburg a couple times over. And you know, the mixed results at best, I would say, for those long-term deals. So they were due one of these. And it's and it's just fun to have that now you know that my kid, when he goes to a game this summer, let's get a Ruiz jersey because it's going to be good for a long time, right? Instead of, you know, as a guy breaks out or has his MVP caliber season or leads you to a whole bunch of victories, you're like, well, it may not be a great investment to get a Rendon or a Harper jersey jersey or a Turner jersey or a Soto jersey because he's probably playing for somebody else in a year or two or three this is a legitimate investment and and it's worth doing and this fan base can kind of grow with Ruiz and so in that regard I think it's really exciting some of the other notes from Nats camp today Jake Irvin's been optioned to AAA Patrick Corbin's gonna start they announced uh tomorrow for a Wednesday game Josiah Gray is gonna pitch on Thursday against the Mets by the way we've got an interview with him Coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball here in just a few minutes. Uh, Mackenzie Gore gets to start again on Friday. Last time we saw him, rough first inning, gave up four early runs and then settled back in. Uh, on the injury front, Victor Arano has got right shoulder impingement, has been shut down, and Israel Pinedo got to the big leagues as a catching prospect for the Nats last year, dealing with the right finger, uh, has yet to be cleared to throw. Um, we can get to some of the roster decisions that have been made also uh, over the last 24 hours. Jackson Rutledge sent down to double A most notably, where hopefully now the former first round pick will have a chance to work his way to the major leagues, throwing hard, probably out of the bullpen, I would guess this season uh, at the major league level. But, you know, he's going to be a starter in the minors and, and the hope is maybe eventually can start at the big league level as well. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Long gone! I think the, the intrigue, if we're looking at the roster first, has to be in the rotation. Because that's where you've got Mackenzie Gore, who will make his Nationals debut first trip through the rotation this year. Cade Cavalli, who pitched once and then had to be shut down, and it was kind of a tease of what could be with Cavalli, their best pitching prospect. And just ask Josiah Gray, who they're counting on to really make major strides and will likely you know, lead the team in innings and starts uh, if Patrick Corbin doesn't or, or is eventually moved to the bullpen, God willing, uh, this year at some point. But uh, it's, it's Corbin and Williams from a veteran standpoint. Trevor Williams, who we had on Bust and Loose Baseball right after he was acquired this offseason. And then I think kind of the most fascinating element of this Nats season, the big three, if we're going to call it that, in the rotation of the future here with Gore and Cavalli and Gray. Yeah, 60% of the starts on paper, injury notwithstanding, I'm intrigued. I'm fascinated. I'll be you know glued to the television. Those veterans, God bless them. You're here to eat some innings, mentor some of the youngsters. Um, as you go, just hopefully be competitive every fifth day with Williams and, and with Corbin, the recent track record, you know, would say otherwise, but yeah, I mean, I'm bated breath watching Josiah Gray take that kind of next step. And as you said, we'll talk to him here in a couple of minutes and I'm still really bullish on him. I, I do think he's got the capacity to be an all-star, to be a really, really good pitcher in this league. And it's just that similar delivery, but a bunch of different looks. Let me move my camera to, to, to the right spot. So fastball here, you know, Cutter here, slider here, curveball here, potential changeup. They can all look kind of pretty similar as you start to do pitch design, all breaking in different directions, different velocities, getting hitters off balance so they don't know what's coming. So all of a sudden that fastball that's mid-90s starts to ride and play up a little bit. Um, I I really do think there's some potential there. I I wish, to be frank with you, that this was less cutter offseason and more changeup. I do think that's kind of something that could be really special for him. Uh, or, or at least something to get them off, get hitters off of those other looks. But I'm really intrigued by Gray. Obviously, you know, Mackenzie Gore, the, the reputation precedes it. He's been fine this spring, just sort of getting through some things. I'm hoping that he kind of ramps up the intensity as we go, but just oozes talent, uh, that guy. And then you already touched on it, Cavalli, just a heart-throwing right-hander who is almost like a closer of your um, at, at this point, but as a starting pitcher with just electric stuff. Uh, those three guys are exciting every fifth day. You're hoping they can answer the bell mid-20s to 30 times this year. All of a sudden, you know, those games have purpose, right? With all due respect, there's not a lot of purpose to, you know, a bullpen day with a bunch of – with Erasmo Ramirez getting you through through two and two-thirds innings. That's not that much fun in terms of long-term development for, uh, for the Nats and for the organization and for, you know, for fans. What you want to be able to do is kind of squint and you look off with, through your looking glass into the future, an opening day where Mackenzie Gore gets the ball, C.J. Abrams is a potential all-star, and Cabra Ruiz is the catcher. And, you know, they, they found some of these pieces, and Luis Garcia has established himself and has taken a pitch or two uh, over the course of his first couple of seasons in the bigs. But you want to you want to squint and be able to say, this group can compete with the Mets team, with the Phillies, uh, with the Braves and company. And that's what's exciting. You can't really do that when it's Victor the veteran, you know, getting through three and two-thirds and giving up nine runs. Yeah, Jim Hickey was quoted in a Washington Post for Luga store, I think it was last week, suggesting that Gore is going to be on a bit of a restrictive limit of innings or starts 
you know, somewhere in the mid to upper 20s probably is reasonable. And I would think they would do the same thing with Cavalli. Both of those guys were shut down at the end of the year. So they're going to need to tap mm-hmm. into some organizational depth and get some starts from some of their other arms as well. Um, to the lineup for a moment, there's less excitement here for me in terms of future potential standouts. Uh, the big story is obviously going to be C.J. Abrams. You know, where are they going to hit him in the order over the course of the season? Does he take to a spot and really flourish? Um, can he have a year in a lineup without a ton of protection and a whole lot of quality big league options where he does make a leap? You know, I think it's really, really hard for a young guy sometimes offensively in a bad lineup on a bad team to kind of be the best version of themselves. And it's why I was hoping they would be a little bit more aggressive and going out and getting some some contributors offensively. Uh, obviously, the sale has not happened. It doesn't look like it's going to happen in the near future. And it has become a bit of a, a disaster in terms of you know trying to add and supplement this team with talent in the short term. Uh, They've made a few moves, though, right? So let's run through it. You know, Lane Thomas, their organizational player of the year last season, is back and and will spend some of the time at the top of the order uh, playing in the outfield. Corey Dickerson, who they brought over, is a former really good offensive player who I actually like a lot. He's he's the type of guy I like a lot for them, I'll say, not for a championship team or first. Good clarification, yeah. Uh, But, you know, as a guy who's going to have some good at-bats and I think come up with some big hits for them, Joey Manessis will be a – Ideally, they're thumper in the middle of the order and is the one guy on this team I would bet good money will hit 20-plus home runs this year. Uh, they bring in Jamer Candelario, the third baseman from Detroit, who we've seen um, have a lot of doubles and extra base hits at times over the last few seasons. He's going to hit 16, 17 home runs. Ruiz will catch. Dominic Smith, who we recently had on our show, an interview we should play on the podcast here soon, was outstanding. Uh, he was told to expect to play just about every day. Might be some first base and some DH and some left field, but he's going to be in the lineup a lot. Um, and then you've, of course, got Abrams and and uh, whatever they decide to do in center field. Victor Robles, very likely. Luis Garcia will play second. You know, I would like to see more Alex Call early this season to see what he can do in center field. I'm over Victor Robles. You know, if he's going to play brilliant defense, that's fine. Um, but I, I am interested for this team that really isn't tied to anything where the expectations are so low in seeing if you could get more out of call offensively, I, I think he would give you a bunch more than Robles. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the difference would be defensively. It'd probably be substantial, but that's what I want to look at here. Uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on in that outfield mix, but really if you're looking at, you know, building blocks that are going to be here and important to this team in a few years, it's CJ Abrams, K Barrett Ruiz, and there's frankly, you know, other than Luis Garcia, who I feel like now is a known commodity, there's not much else really as far no. as the offense and the lineup goes. No, not at this point. And and that's not ideal. I, I wish – and listen, it's just circumstances just where we are. I wish a couple of those guys down on the farm were, were a little bit closer to the ma- to major league level um, just in terms of timing because I'd love to see Robert Hassel. I'd love to see uh, a James Wood, Elijah Green kind of mix in with this group. But that's not – the time and place. I mean, they, they just, they aren't there yet. Maybe we see Hassel um, if, if he has a nice campaign, you know, maybe September or second half of this year, but to your point, it's right now some guys that you're maybe hoping to spin for assets to be Frank. And I, I don't mean to be flipping about that. I, I'm a hundred percent with you on two fronts. One, 
just being so over the Victor Robles thing. They're they're trying to make fetch happen. I, I've read that article about how he revamped his swing in the offseason and worked with this guy and that guy. He can't hit the ball hard. I, I don't know what else to say about that. Great defensive center fielder. That's adorable. That's awesome. Uh, maybe he goes and, 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 and helps somebody in that regard as a defensive replacement uh, or something like that. But you, you can't have him pinch run. I don't trust him to run the bases still, even, even at this stage. Little leaguers uh, have, have you know better headspace when it comes uh, to doing the right thing there. But in terms of call, that could be one of those finds, right? That could be one of those guys that nobody else really seemed to want. They give him a chance to play every day. Maybe he gets something. Maybe he can spin him. Uh, I think of Dominic Smith in the same regard. I've always wondered what it would look like if he was an everyday player, um, you know, in rhythm with a number of at-bats. We don't have a great sample for that. He had a great 2020, but that's, you know, super shortened season. Um, you know, so this to me is kind of a less expensive version of what that Nelson Cruz plan was. Right. It didn't work out with Cruz. Just again, bad luck made a lot of sense on paper. You and I on the show, both, I, I thought really liked it at the time. I don't want to speak for you, but I think we did going, you get the guy to hit, you know, 15, 20 home runs in the first half, you spin him for somebody's mid-level prospect to, you know, to a competitor. That's the right thing to do. Didn't work out because he couldn't hit his weight and was really struggling and it was, and it was kind of bad. And they kind of were stuck with him for a couple of years. But that's the idea here with the Dickersons, with the Dom Smiths, with uh, some of these younger guys. You're trying to find something. You know, maybe they're part of uh, the, the the next wave here over the next couple of years. They're going to call who's still in his 20s. But, you know, to me, the future are the three guys you mentioned. And then dudes, we have to, you know, go to minor league baseball uh, stat windows to find how they're doing. I'm just looking at their projected lineup and rotation and even trying to kind of form the bullpen here. I think there's a really good chance that there's one player on this team that they drafted. One. One. And that's Cade Cavalli, right? Because yep. Lane Thomas was acquired via trade. They signed Dickerson in free agency. They claimed Joey Manessis, minor league free agency. Candelario, free agent. Kbert Ruiz acquired via the trade with Scherzer and Turner deal. Dominic Smith, free agency. C.J. Abrams, they acquired in the Soto deal. Robles and, and Garcia were amateur free agents out of the Dominican. So I guess you could say they're homegrown uh, if you wanted to clarify, but not drafted. Riley Adams trade with the Blue Jays at the deadline before uh, the Soto deal. Um, so two years ago, Ildemaro Vargas, who's going to be on their bench, a switch hitter, was a free agent from the Cubs. Alex Cole waivers from Cleveland. Stone Garrett free agent this past winter. In the rotation, you signed Corbin in free agency. You traded for Josiah Gray from the Dodgers. Trevor Williams, free agent. Mackenzie Gore, trade from the Padres. Gavali, obviously, the 22nd pick in the 20 draft. And then the bullpen, I'm thinking, is made up of Kyle Finnegan, free agent from Oakland. Carl Edwards, free agent from Chicago. Uh, Hunter Harvey was off waivers, former first-round pick by the Orioles. Victor Arano, free agent from Atlanta. Um Erasmo Ramirez, their pitcher of the year organizationally, believe it or not, last year. Free agent from Detroit. Paolo Espino, free agent from Milwaukee. Thad Ward, their Rule 5 pick uh, from Boston, who I'm excited about. And that might be the bullpen, right? Finnegan, yep. Edwards, Harvey, Ramirez, Espino, Ward, give or take an arm or two here. They do have a couple of homegrown arms I'm excited about, by the way. I know both of them had a really rough outing recently here in WBC um, kind of simulation game, but... Uh, Jose Ferrer, who I watched pitch in the Futures game last year, throws in the 90s, is a lefty, has a chance to be a good big leaguer. Matt Cronin, who they drafted, another lefty who's kind of quirky on the mound, has some do little to him. Um, both of those guys are going to pitch in the bullpen this year. 
one of whom was drafted. But isn't that crazy for this yes. this team we think of as like a you know really sharp organizational builder, and that's how they built their championship team, at least in part. I mean, the, the draft you're talking about one guy here. The, we've that's been a theme I think of uh, of doing the show with you, man. It has been how bare the cupboard really has been. Uh, in terms of their own homegrown, drafted, developed, international signing, whatever, you see the top guys, like the Juan Soto's rocket through your organization, change everything, and you go, man, they're really good at drafting and developing. Well, you look down, and there's, as you said, there's nobody. There's no one that they've, uh, you know, again, had come through the organization, develop, turn into an everyday major league contributor, and, and that's really been the glaring issue. It's why this window closed. It's why they've always had to kind of go outside the organization. It's why they've had to, you know, you know, go to the McRib that is Gerardo Parra a, a million times over, you know, and, and that's really been the kind of the glaring weakness for an organization that does an awful lot right with a regime that does an awful lot right, Mike Rizzo and company. They've been really, really good, above reproach, in my opinion, having 10 years of high-level competitiveness with teams with far bigger budgets and money from cable television. But this has been the issue. This has been the glaring weakness and look no further than the major league roster for a rebuilding team. What it should look like, by the way, is nothing but guys that you're not nothing but close to it you know 15 16 17 guys that you're drafting and developing to go out there and lose 110 games you shouldn't have to go to other teams waivers uh just to just to get 500 at bats out of somebody right it should be your own guys you figure out who's going to be here and, and you kind of go from there it's it's not a good situation it's why they had to make some of the moves and trades that they did to restock the system and, and all, but I think, you know, two or three of their you know top 15 prospects were not guys that they've found and drafted and developed. It's, it's from other organizations who, who did that work for them. The next ownership group that whenever, if, and when, whenever they come in, that's gotta be a central focus. The, they, they are behind the eight ball in terms of, you know, all the, the, the analytics and player development tools that other organizations are using because it's very cost-effective to field major league rosters. It's not cost-effective to pay a guy 300 million bucks. It is to spend a couple million here and there on the most advanced sports medicine, rest recovery, you know, player analytical type things uh, to develop the next wave of big leaguers. They've been behind in that regard, quite frankly. That to me is the challenge of the next regime. And I wish they'd already started. Just looking at the system really quickly, because to your point, while they haven't drafted and developed as well as we'd like, they're now loaded based on largely the Soto trade, frankly. Yep. But a couple of the other things that have happened in the last calendar year, including um, going and getting a toolsy outfielder at the top of the draft board and Elijah Green. So depending on what site you look at, the rankings can vary. Uh, James Wood is is my highest ceiling prospect in the system. He's 6'7". He doesn't really have holes in the swing like, like a long-levered big guy typically does. Uh, left-handed bat, having watched him in Fredericksburg last year, immensely long strides. I mean, it's it's really unique, right? There are some unicorn-type vibes in terms of the size and how he moves. Um, it's boomer bust, you know, like most high schoolers drafted high are, but uh, he's going to be – I feel good about him being a really good big leaguer. Hassel's a little bit more, I would say, sure thing, lower ceiling. Disappointing second half last year after being traded to Washington in the minor leagues, struggled to hit, didn't steal as much as he'd like. I talked to him about it, and he wants to be more aggressive on the base paths. Could be like a 280 hitter with 20 homers and 20 steals in the majors. Uh, he's further along than James Wood and Elijah Green are, obviously, having been drafted before them. Uh, expect him, as you said, maybe he gets to the big leagues for a cup of coffee this year, but will be a starter and a fixture as of next season at some point with the Nationals. 
Uh, Elijah Green, who had a triple in his uh, spring outing yesterday, going to be at rookie ball to start the year. I would guess James Wood for the majority of the first half will be at Wilmington. Elijah Green's going to be in Fredericksburg. So our local listeners in the D.C. area will be able to watch him a lot down 95 if they choose to. Uh, that Fredericksburg team could be loaded again this year. Cavalli will start in the show, still has prospect status. Brady House, after the back injury last year, still 19 years old. You know, he's going to be an important part of the future. You know, if, if they hit on him, and he's a really good third baseman who hits for power at the big league level, to go along with Wood and Elijah Green and Hassel in the outfield and C.J. Abrams at short, I mean, all of a sudden, that, that's the makings of a pretty exciting, really good team in a couple of years, ideally. Uh, can't wait to see Yarlin Susana, the, the six-foot-six-inch right-hander who I watched throw 103 at Fredericksburg last year, uh, early this season in the minors. I, I'd start him again in Fredericksburg and, and graduate him to Wilmington after he shows some dominance at the level. Uh, big year for Christian Vaccaro, who's coming over to the States out of rookie ball. He'll also be in Fredericksburg. Uh, was at the DSL last year, rookie, and then Fredericksburg early this year. We saw Jeremy De La Rosa have some good moments at spring training. Double-A, triple-A kind of season coming for him, probably. Uh, Jake Bennett, the lefty they drafted, Kate Cavalli's high school teammate out of Oklahoma, uh, six-foot, six-inch arm, who you know, should have a chance, I'd say, to move pretty decently uh, because he was a college arm, at least through the, the lower levels, up to A-plus, double-A at some point by the end of the year, ideally. And uh, a couple other names to watch this year in the system. Thad Ward's a Rule 5 pick, so he's going to be in the big leagues, but he'll pitch out of the pen. Jackson Rutledge throws the ball really hard and was dominant in a playoff start in Fredericksburg. I love that they're challenging him and moving him up to double-A after he barely pitched at A-plus. And, uh, and T.J. White, uh, last year as a 19-year-old repeating Fredericksburg, did some really good things. Not a great hit tool, but he's got some power. He can run. Hit about 260 last year. And uh, hit 11 home runs as one of the youngest players at his level. Uh, he's enticing. And then lastly, Danny, our guy Cole Henry is yeah. back from, you know, we had him on the, the show last year chronicling a very serious thoracic outlet procedure where they removed a rib. And and uh, he had made nine starts and pitched to a 170 RA, was having one of the best years in the minors. Uh, Cole Henry is going to be back pitching again, hopefully early this season after his procedure. I talked to him recently. He's feeling really good. So. There are a lot of players in this system that are worth tracking this year, and we'll be doing it for you uh, constantly on Busting Loose Baseball. A quick note on, on Henry. Th that's a fascinating case, to be honest with you. I, most of the guys that have had that TOS surgery have had a lot of wear and tear, a lot of mileage on their arms, bodies, big league innings, highly competitive innings, et cetera. Henry's obviously still only in his early 20s, I think 23 or 24 uh, this year. If he's able to kind of come back for that and have an impact and have a career – that would be a major, major development. There aren't a lot of guys that, that have been able to do that coming back from that surgery. So great dude, someone I am absolutely rooting for, rooting for all of them, obviously, they're nationals, but uh, maybe sort of a special uh, a verbal nod to uh, to Cole Henry. Hopefully he comes back and has a, a good semblance of a season as a building block for the future. Uh, let's let people hear our interview with Josiah Gray. We caught up with the young starting pitcher going into his second full major league season here in D.C. It was a great conversation from camp. Grant and Danny welcoming you back, and we are joined by Josiah Gray, who's getting ready for his second full year in the show, his second full year with the Nationals. The 25-year-old New York native is now an old veteran in the major leagues, bunch of innings <laughs> under his belt. Josiah, good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Camp's been great. Uh, everyone's feeling good. Everyone's healthy. Uh, a lot of new faces, but, you know, we're all excited to get out there and, and just get the ball rolling. 
Tell me about the cutter. It's new. It sounds fun. It's exciting. How do you make sure that it differentiates in terms of movement, plane, break from the slider, other breaking stuff? And it's Absolutely. not something you're falling in love with where it's like, oh, this is so new and fresh, but your yeah. repertoire is pretty damn good too. Got you in the major leagues. Absolutely. Like you said, uh, the repertoire, you know, it's been good up to this point, but, you know, I just wanted to do some tinkering. So uh, at the end of the last year, I asked Erasmo Ramirez, who had a phenomenal year, hey, how do you throw your cutter? You know, he was super successful with it. Gave me the grip. Once I started my offseason throwing program, started throwing it, uh, threw it in pens, and it honestly wasn't great. Um, it was more so because my game intensity wasn't there yet. So just continued to throw it, continued to throw it, and um, was throwing it against hitters in late January. And then when I got to camp in February, and they were like, hey, this pitch like has some real characteristics to it. You know, it can be really solid. So I've just been throwing it ever since, and it's been a really good weapon thus far. And, you know, I'm really excited with uh, – you know, the, the progressions I made with it already and, you know, where it's going to be, you know, a month from now and, and at the end of the year and, and so on and so forth. So I want to dive into the development and the kind of creation of this pitch in the lab over the offseason. But for our listeners, explain the cutter, like, you know, how it actually varies from a fastball and mm -hmm. why there is a movement right now all around baseball. It seems like everyone's adding this pitch. Why? Yeah, I think I think honestly, um, in my uh, retrospect, you know, as I was progressing to the minor leagues, it was more forcing fastball at the top of the zone with high vertical break. You know, that's going to get missed bats. But as you see in the in the major league level, you know, that hasn't boded very well for me as well. So just trying to adjust. So having a cutter, you know, it can neutralize lefties. It neutralizes opposite hand hitters just because it has that late movement. It's hard. And, you know, it can just get off the barrel, whether it's an inch, you can get a swing and miss can induce some softer contact. So for me, uh, it's to neutralize lefties. I'll still throw to righties as well, um, but mainly to neutralize lefties. Give me a pitch, you know, I can attack them. Early in the count, late in the count, even counts. Just get off the barrel, get a swing and miss, sort of keep them from diving out over the plate and just throw it hard. You know, that's going to protect the fastball even more, protect the slider, uh, curveball, so on and so forth. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And, and it's had a lot of progress so far. And, you know, you ask some of the great pitchers like Max Scherzer or Garrett Cole, who has a cutter now, like why they throw it, you know, it's just to kind of give the batter another look, as long as you can throw it hard and it has that late bite, you know, you can be pretty successful with it. So to that point, and Josiah Gray, the Nats is with us here on Grant and Danny. Mark Canna was in the batter's box in the, the first game you're throwing this spring against the Mets. Mm -hmm. And he looked at you kind of funny after you threw a cutter because he's seen you, right? Yeah. He's like, okay, I didn't know he had that. And then there's this viral video where he's walking back to the dugout and he stops Francisco Lindor and, <laughs> and like talks to him in his ear hole, pretty mm -hmm. clearly saying, hey, dude's got a cutter now. So just yeah. to your point, like this is something that hitters have to be prepared for. I thought that video was really cool. I, I also yeah. really enjoy the process of building pitches. So it used mm -hmm. to be, hey, Mariano Rivera throws a cutter. We worked on it in the outfield. I used it in the game. Now yeah. we've got Trackman, right? We've mm -hmm. got Rapsodo. So I saw uh, a story about you were throwing at West Palm, and you'd step off the mound in your bullpen session, and mm -hmm. you'd go over to the laptop. I mean, you, yeah. you tell me what you're looking at. Is it break? Is it movement? You're essentially <laughs> able with numbers now 
say, okay, I didn't love that. Let me change the grip by a quarter inch, mm -hmm. whatever it is, until you get the movement that you want. Like 20 years ago, that wasn't possible. <laughs> You're literally yeah. building pitches in a lab. It's so cool. Yeah, that exactly. Like I couldn't have said it better myself. Like it's more or less you have that instant feedback. So, you know, say I throw a cutter and, you know, I really get around it like my slider and, you know, it's not the same velocity I'm looking for. Like I can see that instantly. So in throwing my pens, I want my cutter in a certain range and I want my slider in a certain range to make sure that they don't blend because I want to keep my slider knowing how effective it has been at the major league level these past two years. So keeping that, but then adding, <clears throat> you know, throwing the cutter hard, that's um, goal number one. And then keeping, you know, it more or less on that straight line with a little late sweep, that's going to be a lot better um, in terms of that pitch. So just making sure those pitches don't blend making sure the characteristics are sort of unique for each sort of um, area I throw the pitch in. Um, just a bunch of different things. But, yeah, having that instant feedback has been phenomenal for guys. And I know it's um, really good when you can tinker with stuff right in the bullpen right then and there. One more nerdy question here. Uh, <laughs> so everybody bear with us. Can you locate it and have the same action arm side? Steal a strike early on a lefty or that, like, you know, right-hander, oh, crap, and then it's in that dead zone. Can you get the same action arm side as you can glove side? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that just comes with, you know, tinkering your sights and and, and your sight lines. So that's definitely going to be in the arsenal as well, you know, making sure that the righty sort of respects that um, inside to, you know, that inside corner. That's going to be a really effective weapon. I think uh, Max does that pretty well. So, just looking at those guys and how they just utilize different tunnels in the strike zone because they're not just, you know, one plane down. They're not one plane up. They're in, out, front, back. Just utilizing more planes is going to be really successful for me. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited with this pitch and where it's where it's going so far. Josiah Gray is with us on G&D here on your flagship home for the Nats. So you referenced earlier in the interview, you said something like, I've gotten in the big leagues and you see it hasn't worked. And that tells me, that you aren't content with your performance to this point. I mean, you have yeah. flashed. Like, there's outings where I'll watch you for six innings with eight punchies and you're just nails. And at the end of the year, you look up and you see the ERA is five or what have you, and it, yeah. it doesn't really compute, right? It doesn't make sense. But the issue, and you know this, has been home run rate, where you gave up more homers than anyone, which is why we're talking about the cutter and adding a pitch. But I'm mm -hmm. curious just what you found as you dive into that a little bit. Because that, that's something like we had Max on the show every week for three years. And Max would be, he'd give up, you know, three hits to start and two might be homers. It just so happened yeah. they were solo shots. So that's not necessarily yeah. indicative of not being good, but but there's, it's something that's got to be fixed if they're crooked numbered homers. So what's your plan of attack there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of multi-layered, but um, you know, there's some luck components to it. You know, I've gotten really unlucky in terms of my fly ball or home run rate. That's, you know, unexpected because I've always been a fly ball pitcher from, you know, the time I got into pro ball to now, you know, I'm still going to remain a fly ball pitcher. Um, it's just a matter of the quality of contact with those fly balls. And then also command of things like a lot of the times when I was giving up home runs the past two years, it was fat part of the plate, you know, say I'd be, um, they ambush me in OO counts or, you know, I'm trying to be too fine with two strikes or an even count and I miss a location. So, um, just looking at those things, like how can I get that much better, wh whether it's adding a new pitch, whether it's adding, um, in, you know, a two seam sinker fastball, 
um, those sorts of things. But yeah, it's definitely, um, it takes a second to uh, really understand it because, you know, in 2021, my debut year, I was like, okay, like my fastball got me here and, you know, I'm going to ride it out. You know, I've just, they're hitting it, but I'm going to continue to throw it. And then last year, you know, it was like, man, they're really getting to this pitch. So like, how do I um, still utilize it, but how do I utilize it in better counts and with better command, those sorts of things. And I think that's just the progression of becoming a, an established big leaguer is tinkering and, and modifying things on the go, because, you know, like you said, you can look up and, you know, it'd be a flash of six innings with nine punches and, you know, propelling the team to win. But there can be outings where I have, you know, three innings, six runs, two home runs, and, you know, the team has no chance. So <clears throat> minimizing those kind of outings, minimizing the blowouts, um, the the eruption outings with four walks, those sort of things, like that's going to be a really big, um, you know, marker of my success, how establishing those things and kind of limiting them is going to be, you know, as simple as I can say it is going to be really big for my success this year and years uh, forward. Josiah, you can see me here on video. I'm old and pudgy uh, and I wasn't even that good to begin with, but I had some really good teammates uh, over <laughs> the years. I played a couple seasons of travel ball with Mark Teixeira, who was a really good big leaguer, obviously. Yeah. And my question was about goal setting. He was, I was fascinated by it because I wanted to do everything he did. I just didn't have the ability or drive or mentality or anything positive. But anyway, he was a, I want to do a little bit more each day. And then I'll look up at the end and feel pretty good about it. Are you a kind of tunnel vision, a little bit of a grind every day? Or are you light at the end of the tunnel? I want to look back in 20 years, kind of a guy. Like, how do you approach it? Yeah, I'm, I'm very much every day. You know, each day I want to, you know, implement a certain plan. This is what I want to get done each day whether it's uh, feel good with this pitch or, you know, just warm up a little differently, see how my body reacts. Like every day is very important for me. So um, leading up to starts, you know, I don't like to say, you know, here's what it's going to look like five years from now. You know, I want to stay present in the moment and make sure that I'm doing everything I can in that moment to prepare me for my next start. You know, whether the start is good or bad, I just want to know that I'm prepared and I've done everything up to that moment to, prepare me you know the results are going to be the results but I want to make sure that I'm you know fully equipped and fully prepared whether it's mentally physically um, emotionally just to go out there and you know put the best foot forward and, and put the team in a position to win. Josiah Gray with us here on Grant and Danny I'm not just saying this because you're on with us I really believe this when, when you with the when you first came to Washington Grant and I were, were talking about the acquisition mm -hmm. and I really believe this I'm not just saying this I think you can be a star in this league. I think you can be an all-star. I think you can be a top of the rotation stud. Absolutely. Is that something that you're conscious of working towards? Just kind of give me the mentality there. Absolutely. Uh, that's something you grind for every day. Like, you know, like I just said, it's, it's that daily grind. You know, you want to be an all-star. You want to be a hall of famer at the end of the day. You want to, you know, propel the team to a lot of wins and, you know, get to the playoffs and, and, and win a lot of games. So, um, I definitely want to do that. And I definitely see that for myself. It's just a matter of that daily grind. You know, how do how am I getting better? How am I, you know, minimizing, you know, let's say I'm going to throw a stat out there. How am I minimizing, you know, my out of zone rate to lefties, you know, because if you look at the splits last year, you know, against righties, I was good to above average. Against lefties, I was below average to average, depending on what stat you look at. Like, 
how do I, you know, skew that more towards the middle for both? You know, how am I good to above average against both sides? You know, something as simple as, you know, working with um, command and, and targeting sort of where am I putting the catcher, those sort of things. Like as simple as it, it can be, you know, I think those things are going to, you know, take my career from here to here and so on and so forth. And that's when we get from, you know, uh, we don't know if this guy's going to be, you know, what we um, dreamed of him being to being like, man, this guy can be an all-star, so on and so forth. So it's just that daily grind. But yeah, like I want to be able to, you know, fulfill every fan's, uh, you know, expectations. I want to fill my own expectations because uh, that's what's gotten me to this point. And I know that as I continue to grind and, and go out there every day, as long as I'm putting my best foot forward, you know, I'm everything's going to uh, work out for me. You know what's so funny about baseball, Josiah Gray's with us, is you have guys like you who you're so cerebral and I mean, you're well-read and you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I'm not knocking these guys, but there are guys like Anthony Rendon who have these great careers. Okay. And Tony used to say, you know, I'm, we're talking to him about hitting, and he's like, they're throwing the round thing at me and I have to swing the snake. <laughs> like, he doesn't want to think about anything else, right? Yeah. There's just different ways to do it. There's still players that if you handed them a sheet of paper with numbers mm-hmm. – they'd crumble it up and throw it away as they walk to go get the game, right? But yeah. uh, but you're talking about you're at his own rate. It's it's just amazing where the game is at right now. Absolutely. Kind of the differing philosophies of doing things. Yeah, we always, as, as baseball players, we always joke about, you know, the guys that, you know, have to do everything right to, you know, perform their best every day. And then the guys that, you know, might take one round of BP or might, you know, lollygag their prep work and they're still really good. And we're like, you're not really envious of them, but you're like, man, like they make the game look so easy. So it's like how, like, you don't want to change it. Like I would never want to be that guy, you know, that can just lollygag through through things because you're, you're, I feel like your success rate is kind of fickle. Um, Like you, you guys can kind of understand what I'm saying. So, um, we always have that joke about baseball players is, you know, that guy that looks like he's not trying is always good. And guys are like, man, I wish I could do that. But, you know, it's just for each, each and their own sort of uh, um, kind of whatever realm they're in. This division is a buzzsaw. The Mets, mm-hmm. Phillies, uh, Braves coming off. They got everybody under 25 locked up for the next you know 27 years. Somehow I don't know how they do it, whatever. But this is a real challenge uh, for you guys. And, you know, night in, night out, it's going to be a grind for you all, especially kind of given where you are in this in this process. You guys ascending towards your potential. Just give me the outlook there. I think we're going to go in very positive. Uh, You know, last year was was a really interesting year. If you look at it in division, we didn't take care of business. But out of division, we were we were pretty good. We were solid. So taking care of those in division games, you know, how do we scrape out one or two wins, you know, in a, in a three game or four game set, like just doing the little things right. I think um, towards the end of the year, after the deadline, you know, we were a lot better ball club than we were, you know, pre deadline, you know, we were stringing together hits starters were going out there and giving out quality starts, you know, those little things it's going to be. Um, yeah. We're young in the rotation. We know that, but every day, you know, we're just going to grind and we're going to push each other, myself, Cade McKenzie, uh, Pat, Trevor, um, you know, names go on and on. Like we're going to push each other every day to, to be better, you know, be better than the next guy. So that sort of accountability is going to be really important to our success. And then we're going to just, you know, have to, whoever's across the diamond from us, take care of business with them. 
you know, controlling the counts, working ahead in the counts, limiting the long ball, limiting walks, um, you know, defensively, you know, we're a lot better defensively with, with CJ up the middle and Luis and uh, Candelario, Keyboom at third, Don Smith at first, you know, a lot of guys are going to, you know, be in there for us and just give their all. So I think we're going to be really, really good. And we're going to, you know, give our all every game. And, you know, when we look at the end of the year, I think we're going to surprise some people and um, have a really um, successful year that leads us to the next step and um, keeps us going towards this, you know, next path to contention. Josiah, there's three main rule changes you're dealing with this year on the mound. Pitch clock, no shift behind you, and how many times and when you can throw over, essentially. Mm -hmm. So you've got to sign one of those, you've got to trade one of those, and you've <laughs> got to cut one of those. Okay. Sign, trade, and cut those three rule changes. So we got pitch clock, shifts, and pickoffs. So I will sign the uh, pitch clock. I think that is – it's been solid so far and pitchers, we can use that to our advantage. Um, the early returns have been pretty solid from our end. Just, you know, we can be in control of the bat depending how you use it. Uh, I would trade the shifts. Uh, I think it's solid, but that's probably like a big data sort of thing. Like over the course of three months, like how our batting averages looking, how are <clears throat> Woba's looking, those sort of things like, that's probably a big data thing. So you kind of have to wait to see how that looks. I get and so then, stemmed up that Josiah Gray's dropping Woba. I, <laughs> I started sweating a little bit. Right yeah. uh, I got a little, I'm perspiring. Woo, I'm yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we know this stuff. And then yeah. um, I would cut the, what's the last one? Uh, pickoffs. Oh, the pickoffs. I, I think that's going to be um, another interesting one. I, I remember seeing a video a few days ago of a guy. He had, he already picked up twice. And then on the third one, the runner got a big lead. And I don't know if he saw the runner, but he didn't pick off because you have that third one as long as you pick him off. So I don't know if runners are going to utilize that more, um, but that's going to be an interesting one. But the stolen you know, base rate in spring training right now is better than Ricky Henderson's career stolen base rate. All right. Well, that's pretty good, go. by the way. That's not quite dudes like me that are like big fat guys that are just like hobbling over out of breath. But it's not Ricky Henderson. All right. Yeah. So it's somewhere between Ricky Henderson and me. And dudes are getting in at a better rate than he got. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. I, yeah, that's going to be another. That's going to be sort of like a um, that's going to be against us pitchers. You know, we're going to have to control the run game a little bit better. Uh, just keep guys off base. And, you know, we can. <laughs> Partly not have to deal with that, but that's going to be something I think we use to our advantage here with the Nationals. You know, we got CJ, we got Luis, we got um, Lane, Vic. You know, those guys are going to have, you know, a lot of double-digit stolen bases if, you know, we're going to use those roles just like everyone does. Josiah, this was a pleasure, man. Great to catch up with you and uh, continued success, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. All the best. Have a great season. Josiah Gray of the Nationals here on Grant and Danny. Thank you, guys. Josiah Gray of the Nationals on Bustin' Loose Baseball. That'll do it for our first episode of season two, so to speak, here as we get back underway, the start of a brand new campaign. Looking forward to another year of Bustin' Loose Baseball, Danny. We need people to come along for the ride, though. Wherever you get your podcasts, go there. Bustin' Loose Baseball, like, review, subscribe. If you are nice to us on a review, we are pandering here. We'll read it out loud and give you a shout out and say nice things about you. That's how we do it here on this program. And you can see our fat faces if you like 
You can check us out on YouTube as well. We'll be talking baseball all season long. Try to give you a bunch of different perspectives, right? We can talk some minors. Uh, prospects here are going to be a big theme, obviously, with the Nationals all season long. What's going on at the big league club, contracts, futures, good things, bad things, everything in between. Uh, we just love breaking down the Nationals in a really, really nerdy way, and hopefully you guys dig it too. If you do want to watch the show, including Josiah Gray, who was on cam for our interview, 106.7 The Fan at YouTube is how you can do that. That's the 106.7 The Fan YouTube page, as Danny mentioned. Thanks for listening. We are back next week with a brand new Boston Loose Baseball.